0: Hello and welcome to saladcast we're back again as i said on the last podcast joined by chris and dan who are going to supporting me um with mike as well so have a little bit of a team going forward so welcome back on the podcast chris and dan and yeah thanks for joining me and yeah really looking forward to you guys and um, working with me on the podcast going forward
1: thanks for having us ollie good to be here again and yeah really looking forward to it and looking forward to a conversation tonight about um not the best few games i suppose but hopefully uh bit of fun to be had tonight a bit of banter about a few things as well so looking forward to it
2: yeah I agree with Chris I hope I'm not coming on every time I come on it's going to be about four defeats That that's not part of the rhythm I want to start with this podcast we need to get some points at some point so uh, yeah hopefully this is something of a low point in terms of results and the only way is up from here in
0: yeah we're going to be wallowing in misery in this podcast a little bit maybe that's the uh, maybe that's the kind of the title of the podcast Chris you were saying a few weeks ago about how you always seem to come on the podcast after defeat and maybe it's quite apt that you've come on after four defeats um, hopefully that, that trend doesn't continue but so we're going to invite gonna... him
1: again that's, that's, the, that's
2: the key <laughs> takeaway from
0: that statement
1: I was going to say what am I doing here I'm obviously just you invite me to come and do a pod and the team start losing so we had one three in a row as well before this so I think, and that was when you did the last pod. So yeah, clearly I am the harbinger of doom yet again.
0: It's going to be, yeah, interesting. So we're going to go through the games that happened over the Christmas period, including the Sunderland game. We're going to then talk about the worst managers in shooting history and prompted a little bit by the In the Stiffs um, interview with Ratcliffe and then a lot of discussion online and Phil Thomas did some fantastic data, which we'll, we'll touch upon. We'll cover the top threes. And then we'll look at the transfer news, some questions as well. We'll see how we get on um, in terms of time. So, yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening. And we're going to jump into it now.
1: Okay, fellas, so uh, let's dive into the last uh, four games then and uh, let's wallow in that misery that we talked about. So the Christmas period started with a 2-1 defeat at Cambridge United. Uh, We had Ryan Bowman sent off in that one. We followed that up with a 1-0 defeat against Cheltenham and once again failed to keep 10 men on the park. This time, Luke Leahy being sent off. Followed that up with the first game of 2023. Fleetwood at home and promptly got battered 3-0. And uh, Matthew Pennington was the honorary red card in this game. So one hell of a run there. Three games in a row, red cards in all of them. Although we'll touch on that more in a bit because only one of those red cards still stands, as it were. And then, of course, just to add to the misery, uh, Dan and Ollie, we've also been knocked out the FA Cup in our most recent game in about the most painful way you could imagine, going down 2-1 to Sunderland. And yet when 90 minutes were on the clock, we were in the fourth round. We were 1-0 up as we entered injury time. So that's about as painful as I can remember in a cup tie in a long time. What do you guys reckon?
2: I reckon there's a lot of truth in that, Chris. And as someone who lives two minutes from Ascot Station, there is a direct train to Putney, uh, Fulham away. We have not I haven't been there since 1991. It, 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 it did not make it any better when I saw that draw, because that was an ideal fourth round draw for me personally. So... I'm with you all the way, Chris. That was um, that, that was a sucker punch. But the, I thought all four games were quite different in a way, four for bad results. But the Cambridge game, and I don't know if you guys were able to get to it or to see it, but I thought for an hour, we were pretty good. And last year at Cambridge, I remember thinking, if we score, we're going to win this game. And we very nearly did, about three times, but, but ultimately drew nil nil. This time we did score a very good goal. Um, and I thought, crikey, we're looking OK. And we just won uh, three games on the bounce and it just goes to show football's a game of small margins because Charlotte Sh- Tracy obviously a former player um we-, we showed him the wrong way we showed him back onto his right foot and he scored a great goal that didn't have to go in you know Charlotte it- Tracy will only do that one in 10 times and cuz it did go in it felt like it deflated us and then we have one pretty heinous mistake by by Shay Dunkley, although I think there was slightly more to that mistake, which you can talk about in a minute if you like, than than just his error. Um, and and all of a sudden, we've lost a game that we really should have won. And I I felt more deflated there than I should have been. We'd played reasonably, and we'd lost, and I felt that really impacted the Cheltenham game, which never got going. As soon as they scored, I never thought we were going to go. uh, We were going to get back into it, and and the Fleetwood game, we we, you know the pantomime villain Josh Vella, who who really reveled in his role as a pantomime villain. I, I, I felt that was that we were on a slide there, and I do wonder if we'd have managed to just see out the Cambridge game, which we could have done. Then I have a feeling that those two games would have been really different as well. Um, ifs buts whatever's maybe as could as would but at the same time those those two those two specific moments with Shiloh Tracy and then uh, and then Marco Morosi deciding to kick the ball to Jordan Shipley on the left and he was in 30 yards of space and I think that was an instinct decision by Morosi. Shipley passes it inside it ends up with Dunkley and we've lost the game. So the small margins are what I thought was interesting because it didn't have to be that way, but the knock-on
0: effects for me were pretty clear. The Cambridge game was a game we should have won. Uh, and I think that's one of the galling things about the first two games. Losing to Fleetwood, and particularly losing to Sunderland, you can, you can, you can I think with time, you can get over the Sunderland one. You know, they're doing well in the championship. They're, they're fighting to get in the playoffs. Cambridge and Cheltenham in particular are abysmal sides, and to lose to them was pretty galling. I totally agree with the Cambridge game. We should have won that, really should have won that. Um, Steve Cotchard even said that the Bowman one they were probably they would have appealed, if, but they didn't have enough um, enough video evidence to try and get it back. So that was a bit frustrating. And then the Cheltenham one, yeah, that was a, 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 an odd game. Conceded that goal. They had no kicks. We were really, really good. I remember chatting to Chris at halftime. We were really, really good in that game. We didn't score, which is kind of one of our unfortunately one of our um, our faults. And the first tackle they had, and they scored, and yeah, I can't. I'm yeah. The Cheltenham game was and I made probably never the, the worst one to go over it. Yeah, I, I couldn't you see couldn't. The scoring after that. I just
2: felt that there was no way we were getting back into this game, and and I'd love to know how long the ball was in play for after they scored. Because and I'm not knocking them for it. You know, we're pretty good at shithouser as well when we want to be. But the, the, the game just vanished as a football game, and and we could be playing now, when we wouldn't have scored in that game.
1: Yeah, natural pessimist in me as well. You go to that Cambridge game. There's a side who hadn't won at home since September and I think hadn't even scored at home since September either. Who are they going to end that run against? Why is it always Shrewsbury Town? It feels like we're the team that's just made for teams to end long runs. And there was Cambridge scoring two goals out of nowhere, having, yeah, literally not scored at home for three months or something stupid. And suddenly uh, we've lost that game. And like you say, it was there to be won, wasn't it? It was thrown away and... Well, so thrown
2: away, but I think,
1: well, yeah, I think yeah, one
2: yeah. of the, the issues with that Shiloh-Tracy goal is we know he's right-footed. And to be fair, I'm pretty sure Steve Cottrell knows he's right-footed. So force him left. force he is quite quick. Force him left. And Winchester got just the wrong side of him. So he could go right and he curls it in. So it was a mistake, but it didn't have to go in. And and, and that's the point, I think, that where I'm with you, Chris. It's Cambridge against Shrewsbury. How many times have we been the side that teams break their duck against? And, and fair play to Tracy. He, he, he turned yeah. up and scored a good goal.
1: And it kind of happened in the next game as well. I mean, it sticks in my head, the Cheltenham fans screaming at us, how shit must you be? We're winning away. And I don't think Cheltenham had won an away game for quite a while either coming into that one. I don't know the exact record, but I'm pretty sure it was a, a, not a be, not the best away run. And certainly their fans seemed a bit shocked to be winning. And they played like a side that was shocked to be winning, didn't they? You touched on it, Dan, that from the moment they scored, their tactics were just to to ruin the game. But... As you say, it's the kind of thing we've done, but possibly not to that extreme. I mean, they were doing it from so early in the game, from the moment they scored. It was, it was quite, it was quite a thing to behold in a way, and it, it was frustrating. But the thing is, they've got the right to do it. In the same, you know, if it's the referee's job to control it, if he thinks it's wrong, it's, it's the referee's job to hurry them up to bring out his cards if he feels he needs to. So, I I think of, it annoys me, but I don't well. resent it.
2: Yeah, I remember the the, the 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 incident with the indirect free kick, right. The referee's clearly annoyed with their keeper for for persistent time wasting. And you do think, well, just give him a yellow card. I know he'll probably carry on doing it, but you've got to give him the yellow card. And when he did take action, I thought it was the right thing to do. But it caused even more chaos in the game, didn't it? Everybody got even more excited. And that, of course, led ultimately to, you know, to to the chaos moment where where, where their cars were flying about.
1: Just for anybody who's listening who didn't watch that game or can't remember it, that indirect free kick you're talking about. So that's um, their goalkeeper in the penalty area holding the ball, wasn't it? Christian Sadie's pressuring him, trying to get him to make a mistake. He's standing there. (laughs) But that's what's, you know, he's in the box. He He was pretty close to the keeper. And the keeper was trying to suggest to the ref that Sadie was preventing him from clearing the ball. Ball. the referees interpreted that as the keeper's time wasting because he could have distributed it so he blows up for an indirect free kick you don't see that very often he screams but the, at that point the goal the referee uh, sorry the goalkeeper has to release the ball that's the rules of the game free kicks been given against him he doesn't he holds on to the ball because we- you could see our players one of them went I can't remember it might have been street when charging up towards the penalty area Sadie's trying to get the ball we were trying to take a t- quick free kick and it's almost a tap-in. But their, their goal is holding the ball, which gave them time to come back, form their defensive wall and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, it was a booking. It was a clear booking. If it wasn't for the initial time-wasting, the failure to release the ball was a clear yellow card. And the referee didn't do it. And, yeah, it set the tone, didn't it, for them to carry on doing that for, for the rest of the afternoon.
0: I still can't believe the keeper didn't get booked. He, he even was taking free kicks and, and goal kicks from the wrong places on purpose to time-waste. Um, yeah the first booking was in the 60 minutes then the next one was 88 and then the third one for them was in, in 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 injury time and yeah it's it's you know cheltenham's prerogative to do whatever they like but yeah i i thought that was quite poor referee he didn't handle the game very well which is really frustrating and yeah we've probably sound like sore losers cheltenham got the did what they needed to they got the three points and not yeah, they're not the that tackle, far behind us.
1: We haven't even touched on the tackle on Jordan Shipley that led to the two red yeah. cards in that game. I mean, it was which was
0: horrendous, wasn't any and was and Chris and, and what what decision did the referee make for that one?
1: Well, it's a big melee, isn't there? And it, it, initially, he sent he, well, he showed off. He sent off the the player who made the tackle, but it wasn't for the tackle, was it? It was for a melee with. Leahy he then sends off Leahy as well apparently I think the fourth official might have given that somebody I read somewhere for for basically putting his hands around the back of their player's neck and then he restarts the game with a drop ball I mean it, it and you could see that was coming he hadn't seen the foul as far as the referee was concerned that was a scrap for no reason he saw he saw no foul and yet you the, most, I'm sure, most of our listeners have seen the photograph from that game where Jordan Shipley. You, you can just, see, I mean, he's like, it's amazing. He, it's wins, amazing. Wins, he, it's amazing it? he continued mm-hmm. to play the game. You look at it. It's, it's a, it's a leg breaking challenge. He's lucky that, you know, he's not joined our list of long term injured from that one. So, it's astonishing, really, astonishing decision at the time. I, I mean, I, I missed what Lee had done. I, I assumed he'd thrown a punch or something, but no. You hear later that all he's done is basically react to the tackle. He he hasn't actually hit anyone, he's not thrown a punch, he's not pushed. So why is it a red card? It's it's bizarre. It's
2: bizarre. It is worth asking is has, has any club ever had three red cards rescinded in a season? I mean I can't <laughs> can't recall anything even
1: close to it. And we're only in January. We could have it could happen again yeah. for all we know. But it seems And you look at the the games it's happened in, you know, it was the Accrington game earlier in the season. We'd have probably won that game. They, Accrington, weren't at least got a draw. You know, we lost that game 1 0 with 10 men. The Cheltenham game, we're 1 0 down at the time, but those red cards came at a point when it was 11 v 11 and we were right on top. That was probably as well as we played in that game for the 10 minutes before the red card. It completely killed the momentum in the game. I think we'd have gone on and won that game and we certainly would have done 11 v 10 because their player should have been sent off for the tackle anyway. And then, obviously, it's happened again in the Fleetwood game. Now, I know we've lost that 3-0, but it's 0-0 when the red card happens after 25 minutes. So you don't know what might have happened. So you look at those three games, and we've probably left anything between six and six or seven points, at least, out on the park, and put those points onto our tally now. And we'd be feeling a lot more optimistic right now about our season. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not one to blame refs. I think you have to look after yourselves, but they've not helped us, have they, in those three games? Well, it's good to remember Flanagan's case the first of these rescinded red cards was mistaken identity
2: right with the keeper yeah i mean he was wearing a different kit you know i mean how does that happen i mean i've been over this in months gone by but it just seems like we have been and i'm well really don't want to say but i'm a bit unlucky here folks um but i do think sometimes you make your own luck so we've got a series of games now where we've got to make things happen and um and you know, I actually don't see any reason why we can't, um, which which may surprise people too after four defeats. But I, I do think with odd things have happened in these games and the Sunderland performance was better. Um, and Burton, of course, didn't have the greatest FA Cup third round game on Saturday either. So so I, I think, you know, it's gotta change, fellas. We need a ball to go into the net of someone's backside and 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 the world will look a bit different again. Yeah, it's a
0: game my brother's badger me to go to, but I don't think I'll be able to to make it Burton away. It's a shame. And also, Burton lost 5-0 to Morecambe. And a good, I've got a good friend of mine who's a Morecambe fan, and apparently Burton were absolutely abysmal. It wasn't even Morecambe were any good. And then, yeah, um, sorry, going back to the Fleetwood game, the, red, the pennington red, and there was a lot of debate online and, and discussions on um, BBC Shropshire and all sorts, but it didn't even hit his hand, so everyone was debating whether it was a handball and the handball rule. But hit his shoulder. I've seen the video evidence; it clearly hits his shoulder in a melee of players. And yeah, I don't like talking about referees. It's not something we've been, we've particularly done on the podcast talk about referees too much because we tried to kind of move on from it. But yeah, referees have, have really had a huge impact on us in, in Christmas. So we've in we've talked of openness and transparency, Ollie. When it happened,
2: I thought it did it his hand.
0: Yeah, I know, oh, I know, and yeah, you remember, I I remember chatting to you. Yeah, I remember yeah. chatting to you on Twitter on the on on the day, or maybe WhatsApp on the day, and uh, you were along with many other fans. And there was also Simo, who's our kind of resident referee on Twitter. He was saying, explaining the, the handball rule, um, which was really helpful. But it was, yeah, it wasn't even a red card. But we were so, wrong. Yeah, yeah, we were wrong, which is which is frustrating. But
1: then even Sky Sports were analysing that game that that, that night on their Ref Watch feature. we doing. Derm- you've you've got Dermot Gallagher, an ex Premier League ref. Basically, saying Pennington's unlucky, but under the rules of the game, he had to go. So, and he's a man who's watched the footage back to arrive at that decision. So, Chris, can you help me here though? Whatever happened to Double Jeopardy? Isn't it yellow because they got the penalty? Uh, Is that gone or I misunderstood rule. the
0: rules? It's a different, yeah, yeah it's, 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 I think that's gone. Um, but exactly. what I, I, I was like a big geek on Sunday, I actually read the rules. Um, and then there's also a conflict, there's a conflict between the IFAB rules and the English rules, which also makes it, of the laws of the game, makes it. Um, contradictory but it says if you stop a goal scoring opportunity by using your hand it's an automatic red card so yeah that's that's that unfortunately um so yeah what we talked about christmas so we talked about it being abysmal but it hasn't always you know we, the last time we lost all three games at christmas was under the paul Hurst season when we lost to bolton away rochdale away and Fleetwood at home Um, And yeah, Phil was really helpful. You look back, 495, we lost three games as well over Christmas. So it has happened before. Um, It probably happened again. uh, But yeah, it was quite an abysmal Christmas. Um, So we've talked about the Christmas results. We've talked about the red cards, talked about to be rescinded. But let's talk about some positives. Um, Bennett, O'Brien, and Costa are back, Dan. Big improvements to the (laughs) side. Well, yeah, we'll come on. What do you mean by that?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, Benny, I think, is a big plus. Um, it, it, you know, as a, as a signed up member of the right wing backs union, I'm all, uh, you know, I, I always like to see a wing back who gets forward. He's got energy, who's got a good positional sense uh, and uh, and reads the game well. And he does all of those things. And we know he does all of those things. And I get the feeling he's probably a good guy to have around as well, because he's been around. You know, he's played at a good level. So that, that's an absolute, an absolute plus. Um, I, I wonder if we'll see Bennett in midfield at some point. That was one question I was going to ask you guys. I've got, I just got this feeling that, that in midfield, if we have one more injury, then then we might have Bennett there and Decosta back on the right,
0: which if wouldn't da Costa's, be If
2: DaCosta's fit enough, if DaCosta's fit, yeah. But I mean, DaCosta looks like he's coming back. So 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 the Bennett one, I'm, I'm I'm all over that. It's a real plus, and and you know, basically, never has a really bad game, does he? So that's good. Now O'Brien, I mean. You want to give him the benefit of the doubt, right? He's he, you think he's probably on decent enough wedge, you guess. He's a big name player, he's played at some some good clubs, Sunderland for one. Um, yet we're really not getting much game time out of him. And I found that the substitution on Saturday against Sunderland really interesting. Um, and Steve Cottrell's response afterwards, you know, really quite interesting because when he was asked about that, he just he, he gave a really nondescript answer on Radio Shropshire something like, Yeah, we're gonna to have to. I can't remember these exact words, we're gonna have to look into it, or we're gonna have to, you know, have to think about that one. And and I found myself thinking about what did you take him off tactically or was he just knackered? Is he unfit? And and, and we didn't really get the answers to those questions. So I, I do wonder if if there's something really wrong with O'Brien, and if there is, how are we going to put it right? Or are we not going to put it right? And we need to cut our losses because if we do need to cut our losses, now's the time to do it so that we can we can, we can find a way of getting somebody else in uh, who might replace him. Because I'm afraid I'm not I'm not I'm not sold on this. If you if you can only play 45 minutes after having. Well, two or three weeks to get himself up to gear, then again, get, get himself up to speed. Then w- will he ever be in a position to contribute? And I'm, I'm, I'm a bit, I'm not sure he will, to be honest. I don't know what you think, Chris.
1: How long was his contract? Wasn't it two years? Or was I think it even so. three yeah. years? No, I, th- th- I was It was at least two. two. So he's got another at least 18 months on his contract. So I don't think there's any prospect of him being paid off or anything like that anytime soon. But he was the big marquee signing, wasn't he? You, uh, you know, O'Brien and Dunkley certainly, but I'd say argue O'Brien more so over the summer. Of, he was the big signing that made us all go bloody hell. I can't believe we've got him, you know, and he, it was exciting and it was something to look forward to, and it's been really frustrating. And yeah, I was so pleased to see him named in the starting lineup on Saturday, and then when he went off at half time, yeah, my first thought was shame, but I presume that was always the plan. He was only going to do forty five. You know what Cotterell's like; he doesn't always tell us these things. So, you know, I wasn't too concerned. And then, like you say, there was all that stuff after the game, and it's weird. I've no idea what's gone on there. You hear people saying, "Have oh, they had a falling out? Who knows?" You know, that something weird has happened there. Because I mean, if it was if part it's of broken the plan, down again, yeah. then oh,
2: yeah. If it then that, okay, it, I mean, playing forty-five minutes of that game, it feels a bit weird. But if it's part of the plan and we're going to get seventy-five minutes out of him on Saturday or the week after, then then I'm I'm, I'm fine with it. But I'm not you can I just don't know I, at the moment I can't put the pieces of this jigsaw together
1: well I'm I'm assuming he won't be in the squad on Saturday the impression you got from the way the manager reacted is something's happened there again and yeah no doubt we're not going to see him for another while and then we'll anytime now we'll be told he's off for some injections in london then he'll Mm. be going off to see some consultant who'll decide he doesn't need an operation then it'll be another injection and that's what it's been we you know every other week for the last three or four months it's very 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 strange and very frustrating because he looked good in that 45 minutes to me you know i'm not not a world beater but what you know i don't think we could expect that after so long out injured i thought given how long he's been out you could see his quality and you could see him Making a difference.
2: Yeah. And I was talking to my mates about this, and they, we were saying, you know, if he's gone in at half time, if the muscles have got a bit cold, if there's a danger that something may go again, then fine. Well, not sort of fine. I get it. But I, I don't really understand why that, and that's an easy line for, for a manager, I'd have thought, if it's what happened. But, you know, uh, you, the assumption is that that's not what happened. So, so ho- hopefully we might find a bit more about this in, in, in due course.
0: It's definitely one we're going to have to watch out for. It'll be interesting to see when we see the lineup. That'll be the first time we'll get a clue. I can't imagine Cotter will say anything in the week um, unless he just leaves. <laughs> but yeah, he, he hasn't played many minutes at all. He played seven minutes against Morecambe in July. Then he came back in October and played a grand total of, of 39 minutes. And then, then he's come back again in um, in obviously against Sunderland. So yeah, it's been quite a, a poor return. Um, not sure Not sure we want to go into the discussion now about the small squad but when you have a small squad and you have injured players it just really just put a lot of pressure on the team but I thought against Sunderland we played well um, and I thought it just had, it had a bit more life in it so yeah it's good to see Bennett back on the pitch, it's good to see DeCosta on the bench um, but for me probably the biggest highlight um, was Phillips' performance and I, I thought he had a really really good debut for those who didn't see the game he was box to box midfielder and yeah, I was quite impressed with what I saw from him. Well, I think the, the small squad thing—we, you know, we've done that on on Cast before. What,
2: what I think clearly is happening here is we ain't got a lot of money, right? And so it's very difficult to bring in the type of players that we want, particularly when we've we probably spent a bit of money on Aidan O'Brien and others. So, so I think part of it is that that it's actually quite hard to get the squad that you want. Now that it's. Cottrell's job to to get a good squad, but I, I do think there are challenges there that that probably do need to be knowledge about 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 money. But with with the uh, with Phillips, I think I think the key thing is that he, he looked fresh. He looked he didn't look burdened by any of the problems that others who, who, who may have had. And and you know one can only hope that these lone players. And we have had a history of loan players coming in. And, and making an impact in the second half of the season, um, that, that, that he, will, he will work with Winchester and Leahy in the centre of the park and be a positive influence against sides who are not as good as Sunderland. Because I thought Sunderland were pretty good, to be honest, and they played a the strongest side and they're doing really well. They've gone on leaps and bounds since last season when we saw them. Um, so the performance for me, uh, of him and the team, was, was really quite, quite encouraging, actually. I mean, I, I'm with Chris, you know. It was a pretty hot, hot... I mean, I can't think of too many cup defeats, Chris. They so were actually more disappointing than that. I mean, the no-show at Liverpool... Not the 4-1. The no-show at Liverpool was disappointing uh, when when we lost there. And after that, I'm struggling a bit to think of downers that, that came in quite the same way that this Sunderland one did
1: yeah to have it snatched from you like this one was i can't think of anything else that competes with it like that i had my seven-year-old son with me at the game as i usually do and i was looking at his face with five minutes to go and you know it was so ex- you know it was exciting for everybody wasn't it wasn't intense it was so tense because we, we're one nil up sunderland are all over us but we're holding on we're holding on and my lad was just living every second of it breathing every second of it and i, I was looking at him thinking this is he's going to be his first cup upset and He's 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 learned already. He's only been a Shrewsbury fan for 18 months, and he's learned that you know we lose more than we win, frankly. And when we lose games now, he tends to deal with it. You know, the first couple of times we lost and he was with me, the tears came. But more recently, that hasn't happened. For this one, it did again, and just because of the way it happened, you know, he he just crumpled when the second goal went in. It was just crest, total crestfallen. And I thought, you know, that's kind of how that's probably how I would have felt when I was that age. That's for sure. And I almost <laughs> felt like that as an adult. It hurt. It really. Hurt because, you know, yes, Sunderland were the better side, and as a pure neutral, you'd say, you know, maybe they deserve to go through. But for the for the effort our team put in, for the quality they showed at times, for the way they held on, I also kind of felt we deserved it as well. And I thought it was cruel. I don't. You could pick faults in we, that we made in injury time that cost those two goals, but you got to give the opposition credit sometimes. They piled that pressure on us, and they made the pressure count. But. I, I, I think I you could pick faults, Chris, but I'd be
2: yeah, I'd be careful with that. I mean, it, it's been like the Alamo for, for, for 35 minutes. Um, I mean, you know, them are a decent side, and, and you're gonna have them creating chances in the end. There weren't any Cambridge esque clangers this time. It was just, you know, Stuart got a got free in the box and he's a goal scorer, and, he, and and that that's what goal scorers do. So I think the faults were eminently forgivable in that sense. They weren't they weren't major, major errors. I mean, and even the second goal, I just got this feeling that one of our boys would have put that somewhere in, in block ten, right? But he didn't. He he had a bit of composure and he he put it away. Oh. So I don't enjoy saying it, but at least they were goals where I felt they scored them rather than we gifted them.
1: Also, confession, Dan, I think it's all my fault as well, because as the oh, injury time go. the here board go. goes up to say four minutes to go, yeah. And it was only four minutes. That felt like a gift from the gods as well, because you were thinking it's gonna be seven or eight, four minutes. And I turned to my lad Thomas and I said to him well, I tell you what, Thomas. They might get one, but there's probably not enough time for them to get two. We're not going to lose this game, so it's my fault. I tempted fate.
2: Well, I knew it had to be something to do with you, Chris. And now we know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a really? killer. I, I thought I thought we were going to be through. I, I really thought. I didn't think. I didn't think we were going to lose that game as we went into extra time. As you said, Chris, it was a, a real sucker punch. Of- annoy me about this, Ollie, because I. I as
2: I've said, I live in Ascot well, it was about Ascot United this evening and, and they've got two Sunderland fans who, who were around uh, around the club. And I saw one of them and Neil says, oh, yeah, well, you know, that's the way it goes. Blah blah. Have we got on the next round again? I can't remember. And I thought, gee whiz, it, it really <laughs> doesn't matter, does it, to you? I mean, he's a fan, but he's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's Fulham away, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah. It is, yeah.
0: Pull them brilliant. away would
2: have been a good time. Oh, for me, it's brilliant. But, but I just thought, you know, for them, it doesn't matter that much. And they'll just look at it. Oh, yeah, yeah, we got through. the ooh, bit, bit last minute, that one, wasn't it? Whereas for us,
0: you know, it, it's existential. Not existential,
2: but it's um, it, it's heavy duty
0: and uh, it'll take a, a bit to get over. Yeah, it was a, a tough Christmas period, capped off with a, a shit <laughs> defeat in the FA Cup. I think that's the, way, the best way to put it. Um, I think we've, we've, we're not going to have a big focus on any of these games because we we've lost them all, to be honest um anything else we need to cover for these games lads or we think we've, we've done we've done it
1: i almost feel we haven't done phillips justice for just how good that debut was we could we could talk about him for ages as well but i think you've got a top three to come in a little bit so we might we'll touch on him again maybe a bit later on
0: yeah cool so yeah we, we, we've covered the games um unfortunately no no victories fingers crossed some will come in, in january um, and now, yeah, we're gonna, now going to jump into discussing the worst manager in Salop history.
2: I think the background to this is quite interesting, Ollie, as well, isn't it? Because, I mean, it, one of the great things that one does in football is, is compare players and compare managers and yeah. compare teams. And and often it's really hard. Now, I, I remember having a discussion um, not so long ago at a Shusby Town game at halftime about how, you know, modern day football teams would absolutely annihilate football teams from, from 30 years ago. And they probably would. They're much fitter. But I'd love to see those, the modern day football teams play on um, mud, mud, mud. Uh, I'd love to see them play having had five pints of beer the night before. In all or 10. Or 10 or whatever. <laughs> or, or having a
0: cheeseburger.
2: Yeah. And, and basically playing in a very different world, just as I, I'm pretty sure the England 1966 World Cup winning team, if they existed in 2023, would be a different team again and and yeah. if they would had the same sort of training and education uh um, that, that the guys get now then then it would be a really interesting context. so so that that prompted me to then to, to, to think about Shrewsbury Town managers and and um and of course Phil Thomas has done some some great data on this and that, that got me and Chris chatting away about it and and it would appear we don't completely agree on the best and worst managers which is brilliant <laughs> um but the Phil Thomas data set was it was a great starting point and you you've you've had a good look at that Ollie right?
0: yeah yeah i've put it up uh, put it into gender and yeah phil was really kind to help us with that and look at the data Uh, obviously yeah we're chatting we're chatting on whatsapp weren't we about this and if we have to kind of say make a bit of a line of you have to really i think bin at the games to really make a definitive decision about whether you really rate a manager or not and i was at university when um, kevin ratcliffe was the manager so i think that pulls it out for me i've got my opinions on that era uh, but yeah um, I'll come on to mine in a moment, but yeah, it was really interesting. Um, no surprise, obviously, Arthur Rowley with a, a crazy 460 games. But yeah, it's funny, there isn't any Shrewsbury Town manager who's won over more than 50% of his games, which says a lot about following Shrewsbury Town um, football club. Um, but even Can I just yeah. say as well though, at 460 games. Well, I, mean, I knew Arthur had managed the side for a long time, but that, that's off the radar. That's more... I mean, just to put it into context, so if you, how, many, how many games did Peter, Gary Peters do and how many games did Turner do in, in comparison, Dan? It, you wow. know, you're to... Gary Peters, 155. You know,
1: there's yeah.
2: 300 fewer. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, Arthur Riley did that job for, 10, for a decade, didn't he? For exactly 10 seasons. So, you know, 46 games a season, there it is, yeah. 460 games. And yep. he's quite the record as well. You know, exciting goals. I know there were more goals in that era, but... What we're supposed to be talking about worst here, but he's definitely on there for one of the yeah. best because he didn't deliver a promotion, but he got close. He finished third in Division Three, was Arthur Rowley's best finish, I think, and scored a stupid number of goals for us while doing it. I mean, I think he was a player for six or seven of those 10 years and scored 152 goals for us. So, yeah. you know, you can't really argue with I, shame I'm not old enough to have uh, seen some of that because it, would, it must yeah. have been quite a sight. Yeah. And there are some great
2: factoids from the data before we get into our, what we yeah. make of the best and worst. For, for example, Chick Bates. I mean, obviously, I'm a little bit older than you guys. And I, I remember the, the 1980s as, as, as a halcyon decade. And, uh, you know, I started watching this in 1981 for me sins. But Chick Bates, in over three years as manager, never,
1: ever won an FA Cup game. I was like, didn't he? Really? Hang on a minute. We were good in the 80s. And, you have um, to qualify that, don't you? He managed us in Division Two, so we yeah. as championship as it is now, and we entered there for the FA Cup in the third round in those days. Absolutely, so he didn't but, but have we, the chance that current managers do to often have non league cannon fodder to play in the first round or something. He was more often than not playing top flight opposition from the first game in the FA Cup, and that was uh, t- totally Chris. It.
2: But but I do remember in 83 and 84, you know, we we, we, yeah. we, we beat Ipswich and we went on to the cup, cup quarter final, that was 82, wasn't it? Sorry, and then, and then
1: 79
2: because, and 82, yeah, yeah. So, so just I just thought, Crikey, I didn't realize we had that that pier in the middle where where poor old Chico had, um, yeah, no FA Cup wins at all. And yet, you know, you have some managers where, you know, Acer Hartford, 75% of his FA Cup games he won. Now, I suspect that means three, um, but uh, but even... So that's 75...
1: because, see, yeah, that's one cup run. He was manager in 1990-91. That's my Correct. first season, so it's so clear in my head. And we, we knocked out then what is now championship, Watford. Now, we, we beat Watford. We beat Bradford in one of the earlier rounds. Yeah. We beat Chorley 1-0. We beat Wimbledon yeah. and we lost obviously to Arsenal. So Fulham. those were the five games. But by oh, no, the time, we didn't, didn't by we lose Fulham at oh, Fulham? is that the wrong year? You, you're in the wrong year. Uh, <laughs> Not nineteen ninety one anyway. We went out to Arsenal in the fifth round, but Mickey John Thomas Bond was manager Ford. by that yeah. point. So actually Hartford, he must have he must have been manager in the FA Cup the season before. I can't remember when he took over, but he did yeah. certainly in nineteen ninety one he didn't lose an FA Cup game. So. It's
2: fair cool. Yep. Yeah, nice little factoids, Ollie. That's But, but the, the bigger issue, of course, is how you work out with
0: the best... Sorry, Oli, we're being work. boring
1: here. Yeah, we've gone well away <laughs> but from... It's, it's funny,
0: you look at it, he's, he won 75% of his FA Cup wins. a shame he couldn't repeat that into the league. He only won 26% of his league games, which obviously puts him quite low down in wow, the pecking so he, order.
1: You can see there he was sacked in January 91... Yeah, that was my first year as a fan, and you know, I was thinking, I was thinking, well, they might not have been many more the way it was going. You know, what I mean, we were so bad, and we. Do you we remember, looked,
2: Chris, that we lost yeah. at home in the leyland after trophy six-two to Torquay that year? And that was and that they was... had to.
1: Do you remember they had to replay the whole group yes. stage because they played the. There used to be a group stage in that competition in those days, and every match had finished one-one. So, in the wisdom of the FA, they just told the entire group to play all the games all over again. Imagine that these days. Imagine how <laughs> Jurgen Klopp would react to every Champions League group game finishes one-one. Imagine if FIFA said right. We'll just do it all again, and that's well, imagine they if had you to do fit. it now
2: in the pizza cup, you know, because that's what it is, <laughs> or, you know, the yeah. big carnage, then as well, wouldn't it? 6'2, we well, got
1: got yeah, to Torquay United. Sean Parish mm-hmm. made score that was the one positive for Shrewsbury in that game. That was his year. Do you remember Sean Parish? He, I do as a yeah. teenager, he scored in that game. But... Ollie,
2: move us on. This is going to be, yeah, very some of, the, yeah, yeah, P- of people.
0: Anyone, anyone who was born in yeah well 83 when i was born onwards probably won't recognize some of these names but it's good to hear here's here's some (laughs) of the names and to be fair so we're going to talk about the worst manager i'm going to i'll go first so for me in terms of so i i went to university in 2001 um and then i then i started my first season ticket my first season ticket was actually at the meadow so while i'd love to talk about you're the manager you guys will talk about um i can't I'm going to talk about Paul Simpson. So in the, in the, so I've obviously got a selection of John Askey. I've obviously got Sam Ricketts. I've um, obviously got Mickey Mellon. But obviously, Mickey Mellon did fantastic in League 2. He can't be in the conversation. Um, and Paul Simpson. And the reason why I put Paul Simpson is my worst manager in the following town is because of the quality he had. We were in, in League 2, and we had several players that went to play in the Premier League and play in the Championship. And he had an absolutely phenomenal squad. And we had like we had players like Grant Holt, and we had um, we had Ben Davis who went to the Championship. Um, we had Tierney. We had he did recruit some good players, but the fact that we didn't go up um, under Simpson for me makes him the worst manager. Um, normally, it's just obviously the guys that get relegated is the worst manager. Not too far away, I think is ASCII. Um, because he had a pre-season and he had the chance. And I think I think it's a bit harsh. When Mike, Michael Jackson's got the, the worst win percentage of a shooter Town manager. Bless him, 19 games, he won 16%, um, which is quite poor. So, yeah, I've gone for Paul Simpson. I'm not sure if you guys have much to say about that, or maybe you want to share who who you're, who's your worst manager, Dan. Well, I, I, on that, I, I think there's an important caveat here. It is
2: worth remembering things like which division we're playing in. I mean, if you're keeping us in, um, what is now the championship as was the case with with you know people like Grant Turner first time round and Chick Bates then I think you're doing phenomenally well if you're struggling to get out of League 2 then, then you might well win half your games but that's not good enough you know you should be doing better I think and he had a good
0: budget we spent what 250k on Grant Holt which was our record 17. for a long time
2: yeah now that's quite hard to quantify I mean the data that 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 we've got here is brilliant, but it never tells the whole story that there's always a qualitative dimension to, to 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 what we see and to the impressions that we take away from games and one thing that i mean it's probably worth flagging it up now chris is of course you you, you used to be a reporter, you used to talk to some of these guys you knew these managers i i i i went to school chick Bates son. that's about it um i I didn't know that these guys, and
1: I guess that will inevitably impact our impressions of them right oh hundred percent so yeah I had almost eight years working as a sports reporter for The Star. Uh, I didn't cover Shrewsbury week in, week out, but I still got to interview all the Shrewsbury managers on a relatively regular basis. So when I started doing that job, uh, Kevin Ratcliffe was the manager of Shrewsbury Town. So I interviewed Ratcliffe several times and got on really well with him, actually. See, he was a, it does cloud my view of Kevin Ratcliffe. It, well, no, it reversed cloud. I like Kevin Ratcliffe probably more than most Shrewsbury fans. He was a decent human being. He seemed to have a plan. And it was, an, it was an odd era. I don't know if you remember, the Shropshire Star and Shrewsbury Town have never got on particularly well. But in that period, it was particularly bad. Uh, the year of the Great Escape, when we just, uh, just in that period, a year or two uh, around that time, the Star had put this back page thing where they would put Roland Witchley's head in the middle of an alarm clock on the back page of the newspaper. It was very sun doing the, you know, Graham Taylor and the turnip thing. And they put Witchley in this alarm clock and said, this is a wake up call for, Shrew- for, for Shrewsbury Town or wake up call for Roland Witch. Or something. He did not like it. And I suspect if you mentioned it to him today, he'd probably still rant about it. You know, it was um and it was it was too personal. You know, it's not something I'd be proud to do as a journalist. It's not something I'd have approved of. It was but he took it really personally. And for a long time, the star didn't really talk to the Shrewsbury Town reporter because I've been involved with the independent supports club, I think the chairman knew me and possibly saw me a little bit differently and they did. And they allowed, a few. I think that helped to get a few interviews going again. And I was allowed to go and interview Kevin Ratcliffe. I remember speaking to him at a bit pre-season friendly and he was so, he was so good to talk to. So in, And we had progress under that guy. So I always saw him. I know it obviously went so badly wrong in that last year. And we'll talk (laughs) about
2: progress, Chris. But yeah, yeah, OK.
1: Well, when we come to Ian McNeil, Diane, we can do the same thing. And their stories are fairly similar, actually. A Shrewsbury manager who took over with us in trouble, pulled off a bit of a great escape. And then, in ter- certainly in Ratcliffe's case, built on that, took us from nearly relegated to fifteenth, then to ninth, and it felt like it was all going in the right direction. And then, yeah, it fell through, fell through the floor. But he was a decent guy. And then, w- when he had gone, you know, you mentioned being a reporter, Jimmy Quinn. He was an absolute top bloke to speak to. A complete lunatic. You know, I mean, he was a he was. Like, some him and his assistant, Dave Cook. I mean, I think Dave Cook was even more crackers than Jimmy Quinn, but. There, there was an interesting period with those two in charge. Gary Peters, uh, oh, I could tell you some stories about Gary Peters, but he's not my favourite human being, much as I credit that he did a lot of good things for Shrewsbury Town. Paul Simpson, one of the nicest blokes you could ever meet, and I'd, lo- I'd still love to go and have a beer with Paul Simpson, you know, he, could, he was so interesting, he'd had such a great career, but he didn't seem arrogant with it, he didn't seem big-headed, and uh, yeah, I just really liked the guy, and it all went wrong with the fan base, didn't it? We, I think, was it Burton where there was the game where he or was it Darlington or something where he came out and uh, called the fans diabolical, and I think that kind of destroyed him with a lot of the fans. And managers say stupid things in the heat of a moment after a game sometimes, and it, I feel I sometimes used to feel a bit sorry for some of these managers. You'd go and you'd just watch the team get battered or something, and then they've got some idiot like me putting a microphone under their nose and asking them to react. And now and again they say something they shouldn't and that was definitely something he shouldn't have said but i liked the guy so he do i see him as our worst manager i absolutely don't see paul simpson as our worst manager but clearly he wasn't a successful manager for shrewsbury town either and i especially having failed it's not just that he failed in the playoffs was it It, the following year he was going the other way i mean when he got sacked we were back down to was it 11th 12th 13th something like that which but at this point for shrewsbury town that wasn't good enough in league two you know we turned ourselves into a team again that expected to be around the playoffs at least so yeah i can he had to go but no i wouldn't have had him as my worst ever sorry i've talked for a long time there and answer your question. So
0: who was who was your worst ever then chris
1: so I started watching regularly like I said in about 1990 so I, I've, I I could mention Asa Hartford who was manager when I first started watching and, and his team was terrible and it was the transformative effect when John Bond took over was remarkable we won six of the last seven that season to stay up so I, I can't help but feel that Asa Hartford was one of the worst Bond who I've just mentioned despite that run went on to be a categorical disaster for Shrewsbury Town really he was an absolute he would be in my list and you know you can't much as I've said nice things about him you can't ignore the fact that Kevin Ratcliffe took us into non-league which was the thing that you know was the cardinal sin and that Carlisle game when we got relegated was the worst experience I've ever had at as a, as a football match and it's certainly the only time as an adult that I've left a football ground with tears running down my face and uh, I I felt like a baby for doing it but you know Shrewsbury Town means so much to us and, th- and the thought in my head that we were a non-league club if you'd given me the hindsight that we'd come back in a year I, I wouldn't have been so bothered maybe but at that moment it was like this could be it you know where Shrewsbury Town could be confined to non-league football or worse you know what was our future as a non-league club you could see us going bust so I've never felt so bad as I did leaving that day. So for those reasons, he's, he has to be on the list. But yeah, him or, in my time, I'd say him or John Bond. I mean, Dan, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the John Bond era as well. You'd have watched some of that.
2: No, I think lots of what you said there, Chris, is absolutely fascinating, to be honest. And, and when you're of a certain vintage, you know, it's 41 years, I think I said before, they've been watching the town. There's a fair few managers that come and go. And, and we've been, been through some ups and downs. And it's worth, it's worth remembering that for a decade, we, we, were, we, were, we were mid-table-ish in the championship. You know, there, there was a period where if the players had existed back then, we'd have been thinking, can we get in the playoffs to get in the goddamn top division? You know, this, this is unheard of now. And then you go the other end and dropping out of the league with a ground that regularly flooded. We couldn't make any real money from. Um, There's a real danger that the Hereford United type story could have happened to us. And, I, I, you know, I, I play football down here with a couple of guys used to play for Shrewsbury Town. And, and I sort of said to them, you know, uh, people like Ross Davidson, do if you know Ross Davidson, Chris, or if you remember him from years gone by, fullback. And, and and he said, you know, getting people to move to Shrewsbury was a nightmare. Not because it's so far away from London, or that doesn't help. It's pitch. You're playing on you're playing in a mud bath all the time. And if we slip into the conference and we don't have a ground that that the people want to come and play at, where on earth do we end up? And that that's sort of changed now. The National League is a different league, I think, to what it was 20 years ago. Um, and teams do have the opportunity to come back. You have to have a bit of money, but they do have the opportunity to. And um, I think 2003 was such a big experience because we felt we may well have just dropped off the end of an almighty great cliff. And as it happened, we didn't. But that's why that that Carlisle game, anyone who's there will never forget it. I remember walking around the riverside thinking, I don't know where some of these places are in the conference. Yeah, you know, L-R-M-I. I mean, what? we're playing them in the league, are we? You know, th- th- this this is a whole new world that I, I want massively keen on discovering, to be honest. Now, as it happens, and this is another story from another day, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to us. But that, but that's another, you know, an, another issue at the time. It definitely didn't feel like that. So I think we go from having managers that did wonderfully impressive stuff to keep us in, 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 in Division 2, as it was then, through to managers who had lots of resources and couldn't get us out of League 2, as it now is. For me, the John Bond I was thinking about this this morning. You know, John Bond reminds me of Boris Johnson. Right. Now, why do I say that? Because, he, you know, he managed Manchester City. He's a flamboyant character. He's got, you know, weapons grade nonsense coming out of every single you know, speech that he ever gives. Um, he's got this dynamism, this charisma that I understand why people warm to. And it seemed to work for the town for a bit. We, he came in and we, we won quite a number of games. And we thought, crikey, we've, we've suddenly become like, you know, you know, we've suddenly become quite big time. But we hadn't, and then and then John Bond, the, the John Bond story just goes crazy. We were, we we drew um, Burnley in the cup away from home, and he was so hated by the Burnley fans that he went to the game in disguise. I mean, seriously, and, and he did, and, and and this is the John Bond era ended up, you know, going from mildly amusing to just farcical, and he was completely the wrong man at the wrong club, and it ended up, you know, it, it, it being laughable to be honest if it wasn't so you know so tragic as a, as a town fan now you may have seen it differently chris so i know that was a time when you were working at the star but for me i just like
1: This i can't hear you chris it muted your mic i think so, there we go. I, sorry i lent on something <laughs> i shall uh try again yeah, it was before I was at the start. quite a long time before, oh, actually, when John Bond was manager, I was a fan like anyone else. But yeah, it was um, as you say, it, was, it became farcical. So you know, you had that great start to keep us up in '91. We got relegated in '92. I don't know if you remember. From about February onwards, I think we we didn't we won maybe one more game, and we just plummeted like a stone. We got relegated. Season after, this is an ear. This was it, was only our fifth season ever, I think, in the bottom division, or maybe even fourth season ever. We'd never failed to be promoted from the bottom division. People forget that. You know, it was our third. That's right. The previous two times we'd been in the bottom division, we'd been promoted. So going down to the Division three, as it was called then, we expected to come back comfortably. Ended up being a massive slog. We get to the last game, we have to beat Northampton to make the playoffs. It was that simple beat Northampton, you make the playoffs. We're 2 0 up at half time, we're cruising, and you think uh, Carl Griffiths has scored 31 goals. And he's a goal machine for us that season. Carl, Carl Griffiths was sensational. It's just a shame that he was managed by a buffoon because that's you know we should have cruised through that league with that striker and some of the players we had. But yeah, 2-0 up on Northampton. It's in the bag. Northampton are fighting to stay in the football league. They they were dreadful. We had a lone player called Robbie Turner who would have been signed center as a striker. Off. Well, he was, mm. he was signed as a striker, but Bond had decided, no, he's a centre-half. I'm going to play him at centre-half. Well, I mean, that second half... I think Dan, correct me if I'm wrong. I think he scored two own goals and had a hand in the third one, and we lost three-two.
2: I think it was I mean, one own goal, but I'm I'm hearing the narrative. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, poor old Robbie Turner gets blamed for a lot. You know. I mean, we're talking 29 years later, nearly 30 years later now, and you know, I, I you know, I can still remember his name. There's not many lone players I can name from 1993, but I remember him for all the wrong reasons. But that was Bond having to go, wasn't it? At that point, he's 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 failed to get us out of the bottom division, which yeah was absolutely unheard of. And let's not forget the next year, you know, Fred Davis probably won the third division. So at that point, we're still a club that should expect to get out of that division. So Bond to me failed very, very badly. Took us got us relegated and then yeah, delivered that slightly farcical end to nineteen ninety three and, and was a comedy thing. Comedy, had had that It was a wig and comedy glasses, wasn't it? I can't remember yeah. if there was a beard involved as well, but ridiculous thing. There's a photograph of the paper of him stood in the stand. It's obviously him, but he looks, I don't know, it's like something out of a Basil Fawlty show or something, and he, he just looked ridiculous. So yeah, that's John yeah. Bond. I can see Ollie looking at us utterly perplexed at the minute, because this is a bit before his time, but... Bond was, you know, he was, he was the Sam Allardyce of his day or something, wasn't he? Or he was, I was, he was six. A big character. So, yeah,
0: I was a mascot in the Bond era, John McGinley and that, but yeah, never, I think, can't remember any of his post-match interviews.
1: I think Allardyce is the wrong comparison. I think he was the Harry Redknapp of his day, actually, wasn't he? I would or say Malcolm Lattie Allison,
0: era. but that's not
2: going to help Ollie. Well, well he's Malcolm the same Allison.
1: era, yeah. 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 <laughs> but maybe, you know, it'd be a bit like if we'd named Harry Redknapp as our manager five years ago or so or something. You know, when we named Bond as manager, it was a big, big deal. I mean, even that was a stabbing in the back, wasn't it? Because he was brought in by Asa Hartford as his, his assistant. And he basically just waited for Ace to get sacked and then took the job. But, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, but In terms of my worst, happen.
2: Ollie, I mean, I um, have a slightly different angle on, on Kevin Radcliffe there. I think that, first of all, I mean, he, he lost 44% of all games as Shrewsbury Town manager. There's very, very few managers in our history that have managed any number of, you know, that managed a decent number of games that have lost more than that. Um, sure, he, he didn't start off too badly, but he ended up in a position where he was buying or was bringing in old, old men who were fundamentally unsuited to to, to playing week in, week out on a mud bath in a league, in a in a, in a survival dogfight. And Ian Atkins might well have won the league uh, um, uh, um, with uh, uh, Mark Atkins. Not Ian Mark Atkins. Atkins. Mark. Yeah. Yeah, there's a Freudian there's slip. Mark Atkins. Uh, uh, won the league with Blackburn. Sure, Ian Warren was has a great left foot. Nigel Jemson, well, yeah, OK. you know, all, all, all these players are significant characters, but they were patently the wrong players to be battling for our life. And we had a goal scorer. We had Luke Rogers, who was coming through. And the more that season went on, after we'd beaten Everton in, in you know, in, in a, in a marvellous day, the more it became obvious that the club was going in massively the wrong direction. We'd learned nothing from the great escape, really. And we uh, we were sucked. And I remember the Hull City game away from home, which again, um, um, many listeners may not, but it was April. And Hull City were not the force they are. No, not the force. They, they certainly were not a championship side. They were stuck down there with us in, in, in the bottom flight and i remember ratcliffe making substitutions bringing on defensive players taking off attacking players and we were losing 2-0 and drifting out of the league and and that's the day that i knew we were going down that's the day i knew there was no hope we 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 had two more games three more games to go but i felt that ratcliffe in a challenging situation um had no idea whatsoever about how to rectify it and that's the bit i remember that the he hopelessness... created
0: the problem didn't he he'd created the problem that was the well i thought yeah. he had yeah yeah he had, yeah. He had... He had a lot of players that were over the hill. Um, like, did we have a physio? But yeah, people
2: talk Dean about the physio Spink... thing. Yeah, Dean Spink became the physio. I, I, got, I, got, I don't know. But he's not a physio, it now, is but... he? For me,
0: just, for me, just shares a... It just, you've got Nigel Jempson doing whatever he wants. You've got some good kids coming through, which, you know, you've got Luke Rogers and you've got Tolly and you've got uh, Dave Edwards you've got coming through. So you've got some good young players. But to me, he just seemed amateurish. Um, and his amateurish and poor management recruitment and then to lose 11 of the last 13 games to get relegated is to yeah is 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 incredibly poor but we had the wrong
2: men in the wrong yeah, exactly. to, to yeah. fight our way out of that and i'm not saying we had to go all 1980s wimbledon but I saw no hope there, and for someone who apparently knew what he was doing, that that was the case, right? Um, I th- no, he was he was like the emperor without his clothes. He ain't got. We could got be stupid.
1: entertaining. We scored sixty-two goals that season. I'd love to know if anyone else has ever gone down with sixty-two goals. It was ridiculous, really. But we conceded ninety-two. So you're talking about one of the greatest mm-hmm. British defenders to play the game, and that, yeah. and he was, you know, he was a world-class defender. And for some reason, he could not set up a defence that season, and he he lost Heathcote to injury. He talked about that on the podcast. Actually, we had Mickey. Heathcote would come back for a second season. He's a solid spell. performer. Yeah, yeah, Well, Mickey Heathcote was one of the best defenders yeah. that we've had in certainly in my time watching the club. Tremendous footballer, but that season in his second spell for us, he unfortunately very early on in that season he got injured. And we you know we replaced him with Dave Artell on loan, a young kid who just didn't work. We had uh Matthew Redmile who was Early twenties, great have ability, terms. but had no attitude, though, did he? I mean, again, Ratcliffe talks about that after the six-nil spanking at Boston that we got. Red Mull just took himself off from the dressing room, went home on his own rather than without telling the manager or his teammates or anything. You know, that was a bad he, day, Chris. That was oh, bad, was, bad day. and that was around. Was that straight after the Everton game? We've so we've uh, just knocked Everton out of the FA Cup, and then we followed up with the six-nil spanking at Boston. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was painful times. We just couldn't defend, and he ended. And he got so desperate that. Yeah, he, he was turning to, do you remember Carl Murray, home ground midfielder that yeah. we've got? He looked to have promise. I think Kevin Ratcliffe kind of ruined his career because in that season, he decided that he was that desperate that Carl Murray was going to have to play centre-back. And for the last 10 or 15 games, you've got Carl Murray, a 20-year-old kid or whatever he was at the time, playing centre-back simply because, you know, Redmiles not good enough. Artel's not good enough. He's, got, and he's, he's now turned to this kid. And, and Murray's a ball-playing
2: midfielder, you know, to be fair. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in 2023,
1: he might actually end up a centre-back because the world has changed so much. But back then, it was crazy. <laughs> mm. Certainly, and, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't a big physical strong lad. And, you know, Division 3 was all the cliches you expect of those days. Big, strong teams. And your defence needed to be big and strong and stand up to it. And ours didn't. And the old players, it's not just their age. There's an attitude thing as well. You know, I think it was well known that Jemsen had a bad attitude. But, its I mean... It's worth a listen, actually. Like in the Stiff's podcast, you referred to with Ratcliffe, he talks about Jemson, and I'm thinking, if this was all going on, why didn't you do something about it? Because he talks about how Jemson was a bad influence in the dressing room. He talks about how Jemson didn't support the lads and was a was a bit. Uh, Nigel Jemson obviously scored some terrific goals for us and was a talented footballer, but. Clearly, listening to that, it was worse than I realised, listening to that podcast, just how much of a negative influence he clearly was about the place. And that needed managing, clearly, and the manager failed to do that. The power clearly wasn't He ended his manageable career, didn't he, with with, with Shrewsbury? He talks about something else in the podcast, about how when he was a young player, the highest paid club player, the highest paid person at every club was the manager. And he says by the time he finished at Shrewsbury, that was no longer the case. He, he, he was a bit cryptic. He didn't go into it in more detail. So I don't know if this is right, but I got the impression that possibly he saw Jemsen as holding the power. So I don't know if Jemson was earning more than him or what, but I got the impression that, you know, by the end, Jemson was the, was, was the most powerful figure at that club, not the manager. And that's, that's not, I, I might be wrong, but that's the way it sounded to me, the way he spoke on that podcast. And clearly that's wrong as well because pay hey, shouldn't come into it. The manager should be in charge. And by the end of reckless Reign, it didn't really feel like he was.
2: Of the more modern modern managers, Ollie, I'm conscious Chris and I are talking about a certain era that, that quite a few listeners may not know that much about, which 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 may be good, but, but um I, I think I think Ricketts is an interesting one. Um Ricketts, very young manager, had done reasonably well at Wrexham, and then came in and, and looking back, it came a bit early for him. You know, he had a really big squad, lots of different players, and I'm not quite sure what we were trying to do with our method. And ultimately, one or two good results. I mean, you know. Two two at Liverpool at home was a great day, but I, I do think it, I'm not su- I'm not sure R- Ricketts was the right man for that gig. And I mean, again, it, w- it would be hard to say he's the worst we ever had. I wouldn't go down that route, but I do think ultimately it, he was in a bit above where he should have been, and um, and and that's that's unfortunate. And I think Ricketts has now has, has now moved on as he, Ollie.
0: Yeah, it's it's Ricketts is an unfortunate one. Um, he's, again, I've met him a couple of times. He's a really lovely bloke. He seems a nice uh, guy. Yeah. Brought me and Glyn a nice Magnum, which was very nice of him. Um, but in terms of um, all these I different managers... We already, are we? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I see where this is Do going. Do we have to think and look actually at Mr. Wichley and say, does Shrewsby Tarrant have a bad record at picking managers? Because, yeah, after Hotsley Hurst was a fantastic um, appointment, probably the, yeah, the best one this century. Um, and then after that, we kind of copied the model, didn't we? We went for Ricketts. Um, who done well in do, who who's doing well in non-league? went for Askey, who done really well in non-league. John Askie was a, a car crash of a, of an era. Um, and then obviously we've done something a bit different with Cottrell. So yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? How, how how we've how we've picked quite a lot of bad managers.
2: Well, the thing is with that, it really is easy to judge them on what we now know, right? Yeah. And when Askie came in, my thought was, hello, this is a bit left field, but I sort of see the logic. And I, saw, I thought the same with Ricketts, to be honest. Now, with Cottrell, uh, you know, Cottrell's a big name. It was Positively excited. Bristol City had done really well. Cheltenham had done really well. And, you know, we, we, we are holding our own in League One. It's not as if, you know, we're, we're, we're 23rd in the league or anything. So, so I do think we need to temper expectations a little bit. Um, and it's easy to judge people on what happened rather than what we were actually thinking at the time. And I certainly didn't think Askey and Ricketts were particularly bad appointments.
1: I also, I actually agree. I agree with that, Dan. And my my attitude to this kind of stuff is: we are still a relatively smallish club in League One. Our natural home in the seventeenth or eighteenth, in terms of attendance. So, if a club like us is going to progress, I think sometimes you need to think outside the box. If you appoint an average League One manager to Shrewsbury Town, you're going to get average or worse League One results. So by going for somebody like Sam Ricketts, my ins- my feeling was, here's a young guy, he hasn't managed much, but what he has done has looked, you know, he's, he's, he's got off to a good start. It's a gamble, but so to an extent was Paul Hurst, and I don't mind us taking a gamble now and again. And they're not, of course, they're not all going to work, but that's the only way for me if I want to be excited about seeing my club progress and reach the upper levels of the game again, you know get back to the championship days that we've talked about earlier at some point we're gonna we're gonna fi- have to find a you know a manager who surprises people takes uh, proves himself up to the job at Shrewsbury town, potentially uses us as a stepping stone to bigger things, and that's you know i i I saw the logic in ricketts no, it didn't work. But I would point out, yes, under Cottrell, we've we seem to have a better squad right now. The ultimate metric that matters in football is league positions. Now, John Askey uh, was sacked when we were, what, 18th at the time? So it's not like we, you know, I think some much as it was painful, we were about 18th when he got sacked. Sam Ricketts consistently finished somewhere between 15th and 18th. And now under Cottrell, guess what? We're currently 17th. So in terms of league position, it's not like we've been transformed or anything. It's not like anything's drastically different right now, frankly. And the other thing, it's not like we're being entertained more either, because that's, if there's a... While I love a lot of what Steve Cottrell's done in terms of what he's brought in, I'm bored a lot of the time. And that's I don't know, I know some people I don't know if that's a controversial opinion or not, but I still don't find us a fun team to watch.
0: No, definitely under Cottrell there's a lot of and that, that comes out when we when we lose three games over Christmas. There's a lot of frustration in Cottrell in, in many different ways. But it's interesting about I think the only way the only way we're gonna get out of this division is yeah, a fantastic signing with Paul like Paul Hurst. Let's be honest, luck has got to play a part into it as well. Yeah. You know, we were very lucky in that Paul Hurst season. You'd probably say that Cotchell's been unlucky with injuries. You know, losing yeah. Danado, losing Nurse, losing Bennett. You know, we lost some good um, some good players to injury. Um, but yeah, I agree with everything what you what you're saying there, Chris. Apart from maybe the asking thing, I think he was. I think I personally think I think the players. You know, it's quite an experienced squad we had then, with some really good pros in it. Um, and I think I think that's probably what tipped in. Because let's well, be honest, I don't think the fans get the manager sacked. I don't believe that for a second. Um, and I think it, it's it's the board and they listen to the inside the club. To make
1: I, think as- I think I think though came in. We just finished third. That suddenly there's a whole new expectation at Shrewsbury Town. Was he there met, though? But I was think, there really? I don't think there was. I think I, the fan base, as I remember, expected well, Dan, Dan can be the judge and jury on this one. And I also think that you have to remember as well that most of the players that delivered those results for Paul Hurst were either loans who'd left the club or the likes of Unciala and Nolan who got sold so that's
0: I, why i think that's why i don't think the expectation was there
1: and Ascii um, got that job in June, he was because obviously we'd had to go through the playoffs. He didn't have a lot of time, so I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say I think askey was a brilliant manager. It, I find him the most boring manager we've ever had, by the way. From the very first interview the guy gave, I thought, oh my God, what's going on here? It just sounded bizarre. But I do sometimes just, I just, I, I think sometimes he gets a slightly raw deal as well. Some of his signings were good, you know. I, I know I've heard you say, ollie how many of them were his? Okena was definitely his because he's. I've heard him talk about, you know, go tapping him up basically at some non-league awards dinner for example so um yeah I, i i got the impression that he was a manager who had an idea of what he wanted to do it's just he just didn't, I don't know, he didn't seem to have the confidence in himself. He never seemed at home with Shrewsbury Town. It's like he'd taken the job because Macclesfield was a bit of a basket case and he felt that, you know, he was on a hiding to nothing by staying Well, he there. had also been at Macclesfield for
2: about 100 years, hadn't he? It, it was clearly yeah. the first time he's he's, he's been away from that, what must have been a comfort blanket. And that, yeah. that's
1: going to be a challenge. And you he mean,
0: didn't do that well at Vale either.
1: Uh, not not spectacularly well. No, I mean he did, obviously he did well for York. He got them promoted, and he, I know he's been sacked, but it was a bizarre sacking from a bizarre chairman. He was doing perfectly well this season, but I don't yeah. know what York expected. They've they're, they're lower now than when they sacked him. Let's put it that way. So, I mean, I think one thing we we, we have to
2: think about here. I mean, some really good sports books on this as well is 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 this idea of luck, right? Because Hurst's loan signings. I mean, you have got Ben Godfrey, who who you know is is ploughing an impressive furrow in the in the in the Premier League. That keeper was all right when he held Henderson. Don't know what happened to him. Um, you know, and then you've got Karl Morris up front. And you've, you've got three or four guys here who are clearly using us as a, as, a, as a stepping stone to much better things. And no manager can expect to come, you know, have four or five loan. I mean, Stephen Payne, you know, the highlight of his career was with us, really. Um, what you've got to say about is, Hurst, a lot a lot of of it wasn't
1: just... Had It wasn't just a one-hit wonder with Hurst, though. Even the season before, when he obviously comes in, we're in a real mess, and we just talked about him losing his three games over Christmas. His first January signing, or certainly one of his first January signings, was Tyler Walker. Do you remember Tyler Walker coming in from yeah, West Brom? Eighteen-year-old, he was only yeah. eighteen, and when we signed him, you think, "What the hell have we done here?" But Hurst knew what he was doing. The kid was sensational. Got rid of Ivan
0: Toney as well. <laughs> brought in,
1: brought in. Um, in but Tyler in Walker could
0: play. Even then. yeah, he was a good player. Very yeah. good. Tyler but Walker was
1: quality, scored goals, and as you say, could play. Yeah. But in terms, of, question for you, Dan: Is
0: is Paul Hurst in the time of? Is he the only manager that has not been sacked of all these managers we're talking about here? Is he the only one that hasn't been sacked? I am pretty
2: sure that Graham Turner decided to go to Aston Villa. Okay, I don't think we sacked him, and he went. Well, why would we so, sack him in the
1: early eighties? Second so time though. No, he... oh, no, he resigned. So, so in the last so the forty
0: years, we have had one manager not be sacked. <laughs> I think which she... no, no hold on. two because even
1: second time Turner resigned. I mean, he, yeah, might he resigned, sacked, but
0: you know what I mean. But yeah, it's um it's interesting.
2: Bates went elsewhere was I, I don't think know. I'd have to look that up. But if right. something, I mean,
0: something if you if you're a youngster following Shrewsbury town you're used to us either yeah losing to manager to Ipswich or yeah getting a manager sacked. <laughs> Just think about that one, eh. We had a manager who was taken away from us to go and manage Aston Villa. Yeah. You know. Unlike and to I be anyone's hard for school. hard for kids that you will maybe, you know, grow up Either with when we were in non league that one year or you know, or more recently to think that yeah, yeah, we were a championship team, we were we were basically doing what Luton are doing now, aren't they? You know, cooking on yeah. well, doing well in the championship. Well, yeah.
1: We were seriously good. I don't know, you uh, do either of you guys ever buy a program at home? Not so much anymore, Blank if I'm honest. Faces. So, if you've mm. seen the programs this season, they put a kit on the home page of the program every single game. It's like this graphic of one of the kits, and there's an article inside the program on. The, on that feature kit. And it's, I'm writing that for them this season. It's the reason. why. Oh, there we go. Self publicity. But no, <laughs> but one, it's really, set this up, didn't he? Next <laughs> home, next home game, Cambridge United though, the front cover uh, shirt for that one is the shirt we wore between 83 and 85. So it's the blue one with amber sleeves. Yeah. And there's, and link, I've 51. Written it, link 51 on the chest. Yeah. Real nice. classic. But in note, nice. we wore that kit for two seasons. And in both those seasons, we finished eighth in what is now the championship. And in the second of those two, which was Chick Bates' first season in charge, we only finished eighth because we actually lost our first last two games of that season. If we'd only picked up, you know, if the last, the penultimate game was Leeds, if we'd beaten Leeds, we'd have finished seventh. Now this was two years before they brought the playoffs in. But as Dan said earlier, we were a team that was genuinely on the verge of what would have been the play. If we just sustained that kind of form for another two years, we were definitely top-flight contenders. We were a team that were pushing for the playoffs. Could you imagine that now? You know, they, that's you know that's what fans like Dan want to get back to because that's what they remember. Whereas some of our young fans now, you know, the dream is just to survive in League One. Well, and it's a, the only way it's we're going to do world. that
0: is if if um, we get a, a Russian oligarch like Bournemouth or something like that and, and project well, us up to we nearly like, well, did to...
2: it with Hearst didn't we that the, the dream yeah. lives on I mean Hearst surprised us all but it goes to show that you know sometimes it's better to be lucky than good as, as Napoleon once once said yeah I know we've been talking about this for quite a long time but we, we, we have briefly touched on Ian McNeil there and I know Chris and I have had a quite, quite a long discussion about this and we, we have slightly different angles on it but it, the irony is I think the and the McNeil case shows you how wonderful football is for me Ian McNeil um, was uh, late 1980s. We, we were down and down in 1987, uh, 88. I thought we'd gone here. He came in just before Christmas, and uh, I was 14 years old. And he brought in, quite frankly, a load of alcoholic Scotsmen um, to come and play. But they were brilliant. They were brilliant. My all-time favourite football player, Victor um, Yeah, you know, There'll never be a lunatic like him. So where did he play? So and for, get away with it.
0: Where, so where, what kind of player was
2: he? who? Did so, he comp- well, he, he played on the wing. Uh, He's got a big lad, and he was like a, you know, like a tank going down the wing, and he, he he backed himself to do anything. You know, he was not lacking in confidence, and he, you know, he famously scored a twenty-yard winner against Leeds uh, in the league. Then got carried off on a stretcher because he hit himself in a celebration. That's Victor Kozul all over, right? So you know, it, it, and it, it, this is the type of, of of club we were. We we were we, we were you know saving our skins by being bonkersly brilliant and as a 14 year old an impressionistic 14 year old i was like wow i've never seen anything like that and the buzz around the town was was phenomenal so if people want to look into the late 1980s era mcneil plays a fundamental role in making people like me fall in love with the club the caveat to this is of course that the next year we did go down right No, and i i remember the 3-1 win at main road you know, when we beat Manchester City in the league, I remember the three-two win at Leeds, you know, in the league. But I get that the next year, those alcoholic Scotsmen reverted to being alcoholic Scotsmen rather than football players who could, could save us. So it ended in in a bit of a mess and we, we got relegated. Now I would argue McNeil had good players there. In the end, he couldn't control them. He was out trying to find which nightclub they were in, uh, let alone trying to work out what tactics we were playing. So so I understand why the McNeil era ended with us losing our championship is it now is status which of course we we've never got back so I and, and and Chris Chris will perhaps want to speak to this. I get why for many that is that's a, a, a bitter pill to swallow but I would say we were dead and buried the year before and McNeil brought in great players to to to, to save us in a in a way that I could never imagine possible. It he, he just couldn't keep it going.
1: So yeah case I, of the
2: defense there Chris. Now what's the case <laughs> of the prosecution?
1: <laughs> there are parallels with Ratcliffe aren't they? Both managers took over with a club that looked doomed, kept them up. And then ultimately failed to build on it. The only difference is Kevin Ratcliffe had a bit longer to build on it before he and,
2: failed. And the two divisions.
1: Yeah, yeah, but you can only be in the two divisions, but the budgets are different and the expectations are different at that time. McNeil was given more money, clearly, from the players you've talked about that he signed. That he took over from Chick Bates. Well, he technically took over from Ken Brown. We could bore That's our right, yeah. again. Our young fan re- fans won't remember this. We took this guy from Norwich and he was, he managed us for a week and then decided <laughs> that he made a mistake and quit. Crazy. And then we brought, and then we brought in Ian McNeil, but so he kind of replaced Chick Bates. Bates had spent a couple of years still trying to sign players from non-league. That was the Shrewsbury model all through the eighties, trying to find non-league gems who were somehow good enough to challenge in the top half of the championship. And we kept he them him. as well, Nigel Pearson. And then anyone? he ran. Yeah, you know, well, there's loads. We could name loads. Yeah, yeah. and but he ran out of luck in that I suppose and by the time he left we were in trouble. McNeil was clearly given more money because suddenly instead of signing non-league gems, we're signing Doug Rugby and we're signing Victor Kazal and we're signing, you know, players like this. We we got Mickey Thomas in. We we brought in again, I worry that I don't know how old the average listener of Salopcast is, but Mickey Thomas was a big, big name. You know, this guy had played for Played for, played for Arsenal, played for United, played for, you know, Wrexham, sadly, but we'll, we'll skirt over that bit. Spent time
2: but, at just Pleasure for money, money laundering.
1: Money yeah. laundering, yes, indeed. And, <laughs> but, you know, these were big signings. And I do think if Chick Bates had been allowed to spend that money, would, would, he, would it have been a different story? And, and, yeah, Ian McNeil took us down. like he, The ultimate thing is he took us down. Get careful, though, Chris.
2: Jerry Daly was a full Island international when we signed him in the mid-1980s. We did sign good players. and not. We signed full internationals in, in the 1980s. <laughs> Name not another many, full yeah.
1: international we signed.
2: Well, I, I, yeah, but the point is that that was not Ian McNeil. You know, we Ian signed McNeil full
1: international him. last season, didn't we? And Tom Flanagan, it happens. Yeah, but yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. there but, weren't but, but, too
1: many of them. I, I,
2: get, I get the point. But I, I think ultimately, McNeil failed for the right reasons. He bought in entertaining players um, and they did the job for him for a period of time. But it was a bridge too far. And ultimately, a club like Shrewsbury, 10 years in the championship, it probably will end at some point. Whereas I felt, Ratcliffe,
0: we shouldn't be in the conference under any circumstances. And we were. Of course, cool, so that's where we're leaving, I think, going down to non league. And obviously, we got our friends up the road in Wrexham, still in non league now. What have they been in the non league now for 12, 13, 15 years? 15 so- years. And, and that was and a that fear, just, wasn't it? That, that was, was our potential
1: fate, yeah. And you know, Torquay, okay,
0: who were a Torquay, yeah. now they've gone down in the relegation zone, yeah. yeah. Hereford, gents, Hereford, you know, they yeah. vanished off into the Midland Leagues, you know. Yeah, well, we're a bigger team, I'd say, than Hereford, but still, the risk is there, and it can take you a while to get back. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, interesting, um, journey down uh, memory lane. Um, I'm going to pull you two guys back into the 21st century. And um, by let's do a top yeah. freeze for the. For I the like period. living in the
1: 80s and 90s. No <laughs> Me much. too,
0: because you're <laughs> thin and thin, and you got um, um you got nice um, brown hair, Chris. Um, is Thanks for that. Was? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> Harsh, <laughs> that wasn't, it, Dan? Yes. Yeah,
2: so, I yeah, Cut into it there. <laughs>
0: Top threes for the period, um, I'm going to cut this one down a little bit because we did talk a bit in the last section. We all went for Winchester first. Um, I went for Pennington second, so did Chris. And Dan, who always likes to go a little bit left field, who did you go for second, Dan?
2: Well, I was hoping to go for the breakthrough player of the year, Pike, but I couldn't quite go for break for Pike. Um, I mean, he's not a bad year, but he, he's not quite in this discussion. I thought Phillips's debut against Sunderland was so encouraging and I thought most of what we saw over Christmas was so discouraging that I was quite prepared to put Phillips in there because he he if if he carries on like he started will be a ray of light through the rest of the season. So I, I went for Phillips because I thought he was very good and he gives me a bit more hope than I otherwise would have had.
0: Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? We had we had O'Brien on the pitch, we had Ben on the pitch, Costa on the bench. Um, it was encouraging to see a bit of bit of fresh blood in, into the in starting lineup, Chris.
1: Absolutely, it was tremendous. I actually considered putting him in my top three as well for similar reasons i just thought maybe one game only playing one game out of the four kind of disqualified him but i can certainly yeah, see where Dan's coming just from. that kind of thing doesn't stop yeah. dan does it and i also thought the thought from the back of that is for the next game it's going to make inter- selection very interesting because you look at we, as you said we've all put winchester as number one phillips took winchester's place in the team because winchester was cup tied or wasn't allowed to play against sunderland should we say so now, what's the midfield for the, for the next game? Because you can't imagine him dropping Phillips off the back of that performance and the way he raved about him. You can't imagine him dropping Leahy. He's his captain. You can't imagine him dropping Bayliss, who's our most creative midfielder. And yet, Winchester, we've just said, has been our best player for the last month. So there's an actual bit of a selection headache for the manager.
0: He's our new right wing back, isn't he? Number six <laughs> or somewhere like that of the season. Um, so, well, yeah, you know where I'm going to go to on this. I've said it to you
2: before. Lee left back. Lee left wing back. I don't think. I think Lee has been been okay this year, but I would have no issue in Winchester and Phillips with Lee flying up and down the left wing. Give Shipley where's, a
0: break.
1: I was going to say, where's Jordan Shipley in that? Season? Well, that, that is a good and Shipley's
0: but, done well going forward, but defensively, um, we are we are weaker. I think with him because yeah. um, he's not. I a, think there's a, a case callback. for some sort of diamond. I, I would I would get rid of Street, and play Sadie up front. <laughs> Interesting. It's gonna be really the team selection, you know, for the last few weeks it's been really boring. I saw on the fan hub app where you predict your team, Shrewsbury, I think were the most accurate team fan base in the country at predicting it's their team large? lineup. I like that, which is not surprising given we've got like 12 players to choose from. And yeah, there's like half the bench is kids that are never gonna come on. So yeah, that's who we went for. So yeah, we encouraging interesting to see who starts against Birds. be really fascinating. I went for Bayless third, and Chris, you went for Leahy, and, and you and you went for Pennington. So yeah, that's top three. So I'll plug them into the into the spreadsheet. And then we're we kind of, let's, kind, of we're kind of running out of time a little bit. So let's go through some of these questions really, really quickly. Um so a question from one dart and really quick answers from both of you guys. Um, Does Morosi's awful kicking outweigh his shot-stopping, Dan? No, but I recognise where the questioner is coming from because
2: Morosi's kicking can be um, goddamn awful. But it isn't always that way. And I do think his shot-stopping is reasonable. Chris?
1: Uh, One word answer is no. So, um, Marco Morosi is one of the best goalkeepers in League One. And if if his kicking matched his shot-stopping, he wouldn't be playing for sure. He wouldn't be in League One? No, he wouldn't be, no. Cool. So um, looking at um, January transfer window,
0: we're still in that window. Um, you've got a priority and you can't repeat the same one. So I'll let you go, Chris, first. What's your number one priority for the January transfer window? A wish list to Steve Cottrell or his agent or his whoever listens. <laughs> Position wise, wingbacks. Two wing backs. So you're going to you, you expand on the my question of one player, and you go for oh, two I'm wing backs. Eat. Right, and right. Left wing back.
1: Absolute priority then left wing back because I suppose with Bennett and Decosta getting fitter again, we absolutely need a left wing back.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, I was going to say left-wing back as well. Um, but I suspect we're going to have to deal with whatever's available. I don't think we're going yeah. to have a shopping list to pick from. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it goes without saying we need to score more goals. Um, but so every club in the land in, w- will be saying that. So getting a strike is really, really difficult. But um, it would be good if we could have another
0: potential goal scorer in there. To find a goal scorer who isn't yeah. playing in like the National League or, or League North where we can literally prize them away... We're going to have to get either a Tyler Campbell, Tyrese Campbell on loan from Stoke. Stockton or Morecambe, someone like Stockton, that. Yeah, struggling. he's back fit again. Um, he's yeah. back fit again now and he's playing. It, I think it's going to have to be something a little bit left-field isn't it, to get a strike. For me, Yeah. in terms of probably the biggest impact, our strikers are really poor. Really, really poor, I think. Um, and I think our strikers are probably like the poor, biggest impact. I, at I'd at say, I'd, I'd, yeah, I was going to give the caveat that Sadie's probably the only one I'd probably not put in that really poor list. Um, I think the other guys are poor, um, and yeah, Bennett. I'm sorry, Bennett. Blocks. Him. I want to see him play a few games, but the manager sees enough. I f- I f- he, I think, he needs a loan out. So, yeah, that's that's that one. So, question from Mark Jones, Dan. What do you mm. think is more important, a January signing or getting these two players like Pennington or a Doe on a new contract? And we have got a couple of players. So, a Doe, we think I believe we've got a trigger to opt to get on, to kind of extend his contract, but losing someone like Pennington in a really small squad. Or maybe losing Bayless, or losing Winchester, Winchester, him Winchester. We're using Winchester because his contract goes in six months. There's a couple of players there that I think would be huge losses if we lost if we lost any of them. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, it's not either or, is it? You can get
2: January signings in and you can you can try and nail down your, your current players. Um, I think there are four or five players there who are potentially rock solid in this division. I think the Dan Adeau issue, the fact he's not played all year, probably means there's not going to be a great long list of people to sign in. So I, I would expect to see Dan O'Doe next season. Uh, Pennington's not one of our, not a problem. So it's in, in terms of, you know, he's a solid player, he's kick it, edit centre half. Um, so I think nailing them down would be really
0: good. But I'm not averse to trying to get a good, um, a good loan signing or two in in January. Do you, do you agree with that, Chris? I think I think signings. I don't think we will lose Pennington, but maybe he'd probably want to go in a free. I don't think anyone's going to pay money for him, even though he has been absolutely fantastic for us.
1: Yeah, I'd love to keep Pennington. And I, do th- I I know where the question is coming from. I agree. I think he says in his question that we're clearly not going to get promoted this season. We're not going to be troubling the top end of the table. And I probably agree with that. So for, if you're thinking long term yeah. to what we do next season, then I think it, it probably is important to keep our main talent or or if we can't keep it, to get good money for it. Because the other thing is to remember, clubs like Shrewsbury will sell players. And we actually haven't sold anyone for decent money for quite some time. And Yeah. Much as that can be painful at times, it's also important for the long-term sustainability of the club. So, if we are going to lose a Pennington, I'd rather lose him now for five hundred thousand pounds than May for nothing. But
2: yeah, yeah, and ideally, you can look at it as glass half full. You can say that we're going to get two new signings next year anyway, Dan ADO and, and George Nurse. They'll feel yes. like new signings. We haven't seen them this yeah, year, so you you could see that as as, as effectively two new players.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah. So thanks, Mark, for the question, um, and then also Wandart for the Morosi question. I'm going to finish on a high question from Steve, and we'll go to you, Chris. First, how many more games could Cottrell go without a win before his job's at risk?
1: <laughs> uh, so we've we've lost four on the bounce already. Generally, if a manager gets to six straight defeats, that's when they're in trouble. Now, I don't. I think Steve Cottrell is probably one of the more secure managers in the country, and right now you'd say he's still at no risk at all. But I will say, if we lost another three, four on the trot, then nobody is immune. And could you imagine what it would sound like at some of our games if we'd lost seven or eight straight matches? So. Especially given that three or four of our games coming up are ones that look a little bit more winnable, you know we've got Cambridge, Forest Green, Burton in our next three league games. I think those are teams yeah, that you'd be looking to win a couple of those at least. So lose all three of them, and I—it sounds daft now, but I suspect he'd be under quite a lot of pressure.
0: Yeah, and I think the post matches be a bit spiky um, after that. So yeah, we've got Burton away next. Then we've got um, Cambridge at home, bloody Cambridge again. Then we've got MK Dons on a Tuesday night, um, and then we've got uh, Forest Green Rovers at home. We thought we were going to get some something against Cheltenham and Cambridge. We've got Cambridge again. They are four winnable games, Dan. Um, So yeah, we've got to get at least a couple of wins out of these, otherwise, you know, before Christmas we were talking about being ninth in League One, and the 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 P word was sometimes um, not promotion, but playoffs was sometimes discussed um on, on, on social media. Um, it's a it's a big month, January, for the for the manager. I think that's right. Um, but I think football clubs, like many people in
2: in real life, um, they get very high with the highs and very low with the lows. And I think um, you know, Chris is right. If 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 we lose nine games on the banks, then obviously the manager's gonna be going to be under some pressure. But generally clubs don't do that. Generally things things do turn themselves around. Clubs don't don't go through runs like that as a rule. Um so my feeling is Cottrell's job is is pretty safe and things will turn round, fellas. They will turn yeah. round. We won't go on losing forever. Um, it just feels like we might do it at the moment.
1: I agree <laughs> with that. I think yeah, of those games Ollie's just mentioned, I see us winning at least a couple of those. My lad is actually the mascot for the Cambridge game, so we have to win oh, that one. Cool. <laughs> well, they are goddamn useless, Chris, having
0: travelled to Cambridge on Boxing Day. But that doesn't mean we'll beat them, but we should I'm gonna I'm gonna have to when I edit this podcast, I'm gonna have to maybe make a separate. Um, section of that section, Dan, because if um, if we're in if we're in March and we still haven't won a game, that's a great um, bit of podcast to use. But um you yeah, know on that really positive note but um we'll I think we'll leave the podcast there guys for this this week. Um thanks for joining Dan and Chris. Um, I hope the I hope our more experienced listeners enjoyed the trip down memory lane and i hope the, the more younger hope the younger kids enjoyed some of the names and stuff they never heard of before um and yeah it's uh, been and a good it did, podcast Google guys. john
2: bond fancy dress burnley. burnley chris and i have not made it up you know <laughs> wig the, the fake mustache the lot i mean bonkers fellas, so there's bonkers. Been some famous
0: names in this in this podcast uh yeah. thanks guys for listening and yeah thanks so thanks chris for joining
1: my pleasure and thanks for making me feel really old ollie as usual
0: <laughs> you are quite old mate to be honest it's a nice turn it's in the back <laughs> and it's now been twisted and Dan is a few years older than Chris so yeah you yeah, all right <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes true ollie thanks for having us it's been been good fun cheers guys thanks for listening and um, yeah fingers crossed we can get some results <laughs>